This Sunday, uh, as our second Sunday in Advent, we are talking about peace. Last week we talked about hope, and I hope that as you're entering into the Advent season, you're not just thinking about and reflecting upon these principles of Advent just on Sunday, but I hope your week this week was spent reflecting on the hope that arrives in Christ. Now this Sunday, uh, as we're moving into the second week of Advent, we're talking about peace. Peace is the theme, so my message title this morning is Peace arrives, right? Last week it was hope arrives, peace arrives. And when we talk about peace, uh, that might feel a little bit strange to you. We live in a world uh, where we are constantly hearing about uh, war and pandemics and natural disasters and conspiracy theories and social media manipulation and gun violence and racism and pressure and stress and inequality and poverty and abuse and our growing unwillingness to offer grace to friends and neighbors with whom we disagree. I, and when I say that our focus this week is on peace in the Advent season, you might feel a little bit like peace is a myth, right? Is that even a thing that exists? Is that a thing that you've seen recently or a thing that you experienced? We want to celebrate and reflect upon peace and the arrival of peace in the person of Christ at Christmas, but when we think about the world in which we live, peace sometimes feels fleeting. The thing for you to know as we begin this reflection this morning is that biblical peace is not just describing an absence of violence or an absence of war. It's not just talking about the time when people sort of put down their weapons and get along. The idea biblically of peace uh, in the Old Testament, it's used hundreds of times, is the idea of shalom. And shalom is not just about people not fighting, but shalom is about the idea of a sort of a comprehensive wholeness and well-being. It's a sense of all things being right, both within you and without you. That is the kind of peace that Jesus brings. It's the kind of peace that the people of Israel were longing for in the arrival of the Messiah. But the Christmas season for us, modern Christmas season, is probably the least peaceful season of the whole year, right? Everybody I talked to this morning in one form or another before church says, man, I'm just going 100 miles an hour. I got 100 little concerts to go to. I got things I got to buy. I got places I got to go. It feels like my schedule is just full. Christmas doesn't end up being a season for us that feels like it really is characterized by comprehensive wholeness and wellness or shalom. I remember when my daughter Lily was little, she was probably two or three, uh, we were taking her and her older brothers to the mall in Fresno, California to get their picture taken with Santa Claus, right? So you buy them a little Christmas outfit. Lily was in the cutest little Christmas dress. We take our kids, we stand in this enormous line. Some of you have probably done the same thing. We finally get up to the front of the line to get her picture taken with Santa Claus. And when we go to do the handoff, right? The daddy handoff, I've got my sweet little daughter, cute, we're having this great little interaction. I go to hand her off to Santa Claus, an agent of joy, by the way, uh, she, it's like thermonuclear meltdown, right? She starts to kick and scream. She's red in the face. Her eyes are puffy. She's crying. She doesn't want to sit with Santa. She doesn't want to talk to Santa. She doesn't want to be anywhere near Santa. But you know what? Well, we got to get this picture. And we've been standing in this line the whole time. And so the boys and I are kind of just trying to minimize the drama. We set her down uh, and she is like fighting. Santa's got her in a headlock, you know? And uh, <clears throat> she's kicking and screaming. She probably would have bit Santa if she could have. And she's just wailing. And the, the elves, which 
which are just ladies dressed up like elves, are going like, do you want us to take the picture now? Do you want us to wait? And I was like, you might as well just take it because it's not going to get any better, right? So we have a photo somewhere, and I, I couldn't find it for this morning, but we have a photo somewhere of the boys looking nice in their Christmas sweaters next to Santa, and Santa looking terrified as Lily is kicking and screaming, right? And then, and then after they took the shot, you know, they look at it and they're like, it's not a great photo, you know, are you, you want to take it again? And I was like, are you kidding? We just want to get out of here. We'll take whatever you've given us. <clears throat> so I grab my daughter and she's now, she's angry, not just with Santa, but she's angry with me uh, because I gave her over to Santa, right? And uh, as we're going, one of the elves, the assistant says, I know she didn't really uh, want to take this photo, but would she like a candy cane and a coloring book? And Lily turns and looks at the elf and she goes, nothing from Santa. And to this day, to this day, that is a catchphrase in our family. We still regularly, when we're at the mall or anywhere, if you see Lily, she's working in the well today in the coffee shop over there. She's 18 now, by the way. She's a little more balanced when it comes to Santa now. But uh, when you see her, you can say to her, nothing from Santa, and she'll know exactly what you're talking about. She coined that phrase as a two-year-old. That is not a moment of peace in my memory, right? That's not a moment of shalom or wholeness or wellness. And so when we think about the peace that the people of Israel were longing for, when we think about the peace that can sometimes be elusive in our own life, I actually just want you to take 30 seconds of silence and I want you to ask yourselves, when the last time you felt shalom? When's the last time you felt peace? Take a second and just think about that. For some of you, you maybe can't think of a time. <laughs> For some of you sitting here this morning, you maybe can't remember a time when you felt comprehensive wholeness and wellness. As I was prepping this message today, thinking about peace, it was hard. Hard to think about a moment that I can remember <laughs> where I just felt at rest, where I felt whole and well and at peace. It feels like we are living on a roller coaster most of the time. Right? You start to feel like you're going to see the forest through the trees, or you start to see the, you know, the gap in the trees and the clearing on the other side, and then something else rears its head, right? Another piece of drama, another thing you didn't expect, something else that comes out of right field. Peace is a hard thing for us to hold on to, and yet what we're celebrating this morning, this isn't meant to be a downer of a message, and I promise it won't be in a second, but I want to begin from a place of longing, I want you to understand that when the people of Israel and today when the people of God celebrate the arrival of peace in the person of Christ, we're celebrating something that is not accessible in our own strength and in our own power. It is not something we can snap our fingers and make happen. It's not the kind of thing you can just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and try harder to be more peaceful. For many of you, it probably was hard to locate a moment in your life recently where you felt peace. And that isn't because you don't want it. It's not because you're not hungry for it. But it's because shalom is something that only God can give. In the passage that Christina read just a second ago, famous Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following, it talks about Jesus as the one who will give peace says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear, understandably. And the angel said to them, fear not, 
easy for him to say, right? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly then there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a little bit of idiosyncrasy in this declaration. It does, does not, by the way, say that the angels were singing at that point. It just says they were declaring. They could have been shouting, hey, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom he's pleased, right? Not the most peaceful setting. These guys are already scared. And yet the declaration is a declaration that God will bring peace to those with whom he is pleased. So the question for us, especially if you're in a season or have been in a lengthy season of missing and lacking shalom, is what do I gotta do to be one of those lucky few with whom Jesus is pleased, right? If he's giving peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased, where do I line up to be the one that is pleasing to God to get this peace? Well, it's interesting because the Bible is actually really clear about whom God is pleased with. In fact, Romans 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that pleases God? What is it that pleases God? It's faith in Christ. He has sent his son to rescue and to redeem us. And what it tells us in Romans, and if you put that in conjunction with the Luke 2 prophecy about what Jesus came to do, is it says that for those who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus, they have been justified and therefore peace has been made between them and God. You see, because the first thing you need to understand as we talk about peace this morning is that peace is the kind of thing that sort of stacks. When I talk about peace in your own life, you probably immediately think about broken relationships or maybe you think about a sense of inner turmoil or anxiety or fear, but long before we ever talk about the lack of peace within you personally or the lack of peace inside your relationships or, or your interactions with other people, long before we talk about the brokenness that we see pervasive in the whole world, we gotta back all the way up and say primarily and first and foremost, when we talk about the fact that Jesus brings peace and that the incarnation is a declaration of peace, what it's saying is that Jesus is the only one who is capable of restoring the peace between God and man. So Romans 5 is correct, of course, when it says that those who put their faith have been justified, and because of that, we have peace with God. You see, each and every one of us are sinners. Each and every one of us are broken. The Bible is very clear about the fact that even though you and I were built from the ground up to glorify God, we don't do that regularly. In fact, most of the time we glorify anything and everything but God. We spend a lot of our time glorifying ourselves. And the Bible calls that failure to glorify God, it calls that sin. And sin takes many and various forms. But all sin, whether it's the sin of pride or whether it's the sin of murder and bank robbery or whether it's greed or gluttony or whatever, all sin renders us spiritually dead and separates us from God. Right? It separates us from a holy God because he is holy and perfect and sin and God can't exist in the same place. And so there was this lack of shalom or a lack of wholeness and wellness between us and God. What Jesus comes to do when he comes in the incarnation, born as a baby, what the shepherds are declaring, excuse me, the angels are declaring to the shepherds is that this baby will grow up and he will take on the sin of the world in order to fix the relationship between God and man. Because apart from Christ, there's nothing we can do 
There's no amount of prayers we can pray. There's no amount of worship services we can go to. We cannot save ourselves. We in our own strength cannot restore the broken relationship with God. We in and of ourselves cannot pay the penalty for our own sin. Nothing we do will will account for that. And so Jesus comes and he lives his life. He's perfect, fully God and fully man. He takes the sin of the world upon himself and he dies in our place in order to make peace between God and man. As we celebrate peace this week, as you reflect upon it during this second week of Advent, my encouragement for you to start is to start by remembering that what Jesus does is make it possible for you to have peace with your creator which would not be possible any other way. And the scriptures affirm this. When, uh, when, when, in Luke chapter one, when they're talking about John the Baptist, the prophecy over John the Baptist says this in verse 76. You child, speaking of John the Baptist, you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It was said about John the Baptist that he would be one who would declare this one who would be able to guide us and guide our steps into peace. Isaiah 53, 5, famously about the Messiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed, right? I love the story in Haggai. We won't turn there this morning, but in Haggai, when the people are all kind of disappointed about their new temple and how it doesn't really stack up to the beauty and the glory and the splendor of the temple that had come before it, what God says to them is, and this is in Haggai chapter two, he says, I got all the gold and I got all the silver. If I wanted to make this thing glamorous, I could. But let me tell you what, this new temple, which seems shabby to you, is actually better than the old temple. And the thing that makes this new temple better is that into this temple... I'm gonna bring peace for the world. And what God is pointing to there for the people who are feeling sorry for themselves in Haggai is that unlike the previous temple, which was really beautiful to look at, the new temple, Jesus himself, peace for the world, would actually walk. He would step through the colonnades there, right? God says, I am bringing peace. That is part of his plan. When we talk about the peace that comes at Advent that we're reflecting upon, we're talking about this peace that we have with God that we could have no other way. And once we understand, this sort of takes me to the second tier. So if the bottom tier, the most important foundation is that Jesus brings peace with God through his death and resurrection, then the next tier is that once we understand we have a restored relationship with God, something changes inside of us. Not only does Jesus bring the potential for peace with God for those who put their faith in him, but once you've put your faith in Christ, there is the potential then for you to see yourself differently. So in Christ and in his coming, we also find the possibility for peace within ourselves. Peace within ourselves. What do I mean by that? For many, including myself, The lack of peace that I feel internally comes from a a feeling of inadequacy, awareness of my own brokenness, my failures, my weakness, my lack of accomplishment, my disappointment, the disappointment of others, the shame and guilt I feel over my mistakes, my own powerlessness and ignorance. I've said before that most of the things that discourage human beings can be found in, in one of two categories. You and I, we lack peace and we feel sorrow and shame and guilt for a couple of reasons. Well, one of them primarily is that we recognize that, that we don't know everything, right? 
that even today you're making plans for what you're gonna do this week and you don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You don't know what will happen after church today, right? We don't know what sits around the corner. And that lack of knowledge, that lack of understanding, right, is a source of stress and anxiety and turmoil that stirs us. The thing that makes it even worse is that some of the things we do know, we are powerless to do anything about. So the lack of knowledge and the lack of power, right? Some of you may know that you've got a cancer diagnosis or you may know that your marriage is falling apart or you may watch the news and you can see all of the horrible things that are happening around the world and you're aware of it. It's not that you're ignorant of what's happening, but you sitting right here in your house in Fullerton or Bray or Placentia or whatever, you're powerless to really make a difference and is the combination of ignorance, not knowing what's around the corner and powerlessness, when you put those two together, it makes us depressed, right? It makes us anxious because we don't know what's coming and we're not sure that when what's coming comes, we'll have the power to do anything about it even if we could, right? It is that sense of anxiety about our own powerlessness and our lack of knowledge that can sometimes create a lack of peace in us, a lack of wholeness and wellness, that awareness of our inadequacy and our brokenness and failure and weakness, et cetera. I don't know everything and I can't fix what I know. So it's interesting when we look like in Luke chapter two, verse 28, there's a man named Simeon who gets to hold Jesus in his arms. And here's what he says. This is an old man at the end of his life. Luke chapter two, verse 28. He took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God. And here's what he said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's really interesting that Simeon here in his old age, he takes up the baby and his response is, now I can die in peace. Now I want to be really clear that what Simeon's articulating here is not a sense of escapism. He's not saying, okay, there's stuff on the move here on earth and I can't wait to get out of here, right? I can't wait to just go to heaven or into the afterlife and not have to deal with the stresses and the pressures of this life anymore. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, as I hold the baby, I see that God is who he says he is, that he does what he says he's gonna do, that he has all of the power, that he has all the knowledge, and regardless of if my life ends today or tomorrow, because Simeon doesn't know how long he's gonna live, he still is acknowledging his own lack of knowledge and his own lack of power, but what he sees in the arrival of Christ is that even though he's limited in his knowledge and he's limited in his power, there is a God in heaven whom he praises who has unlimited knowledge and unlimited power, what I want you to see in the character of Simeon is that he feels a peace that comes even before Jesus dies and rises from the dead. He feels peace in the arrival of Christ because it reorients, it reorients, excuse me, reorients, full stop, his perception of himself. His perception of himself is reoriented in the fulfillment of God's promise right? He can trust in God's knowledge and God's power and God's goodness. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. What's Paul advocating for here? He's saying, don't pretend like you know everything and don't pretend like you have the power to fix everything. One of the big mistakes we make the reasons why we lack peace in our inner being is because we try to pretend like we know it all and like we can fix it all. 
Paul is saying, don't, don't, you don't need to pretend. Instead, turn your attention to the one who has all the knowledge and all the power. It says in verse eight of Philippians four, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And your mind might go to some things that you think are excellent or some things that you think are beautiful or some things that you think are worthy of praise. But if they're temporal things, then your praise of those temporal things is also temporary. Does that make sense? So if you immediately thought of your favorite Christmas song or you thought of your, a beautiful piece of music that you like, sooner or later, if you put your faith in those temporal things, they will disappoint you as well. Even the most beautiful piece of music cannot satisfy you depending on what's happening in your life. I think what Paul is pointing here is not temporal things which sometimes are praiseworthy and sometimes are just and sometimes are honorable and sometimes are pure. I think once again, he's pointing us back to the face of God to say put your faith in Jesus and think on who he is because he is always honorable because he is always faithful, because he is always just, because he is always true. When we take our eyes off of our own limitations and we remember that God has the knowledge and the power that we don't have, that he's with us always and that he's good, it changes and brings peace to our inner being as well. John 14, uh, verse 26, Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What's he saying? It's not intermittent. It's not stop and start. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. That's what the peace of this world will give you in every situation. If you're putting your trust in human beings or you're putting your trust in your, your bank account or you're putting your trust in your own ability or your number of likes on Instagram or whatever, those things will fail you. He says the Holy Spirit will remind you there is a place where you can put your trust that is unfailing and it's in me. Peace I leave with you, not as the, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only are we not talking about escapism, I think when Christians get this mindset that says, oh, I can't wait to get out of this mess. I can't wait to go to heaven or just get out of all of this mess. We've missed something important, and that is that Jesus believed we could be people of peace right here and now as the kingdom breaks in, right? Jesus isn't pretending that we won't have trouble. He's not pretending that there won't be moments that are hard, that there won't be moments that are sad, that there won't be moments where we feel our own limitations. But what he says is, I know in the world you'll have trouble. You don't have to pretend like that's not the case. It's all right to own the moments that feel crummy. You haven't overcome them, he says but I have, and I'm with you, and I'm good. This peace that we're celebrating at Advent is not just a peace that Jesus restores between God and man, although it is that first and foremost, but that peace we have with God, it then stirs in us a reorientation of the way we see ourselves. And not that we have to pretend we have some sort of power or some kind of knowledge we don't have, but rather we recognize that that peace with God is done in spite of our brokenness. It's done in some ways because of our brokenness. What that allows us to do is to be honest and vulnerable about the fact that we don't have it all figured out, that we don't have all the answers, that we don't know what's coming around the corner and what comes around the corner we may not be able to change. But there is a God in heaven who knows all things and has all power and is with us always and is good. 
So when we talk about peace, when we reflect upon that during this Advent season, yes, we're talking about the peace that is restored between us and God, but then what that trickles down into in your life is a peace within your inner self. Because your awareness of all the things I've already talked about, your awareness of inadequacy and brokenness and failure and weakness and lack of accomplishment and disappointment, shame, guilt, powerless, ignorance, all of those things are not things you have to pretend aren't there. Those things are just part of what it means to be a broken human being. The reality is that you are all of those things and so am I. But I don't have to rest there and dwell there because I can lift my eyes to the God who has called me his son or called me his daughter, the God who has invited me into his family, the God who in Christ has made peace between me and him, has wiped away my sins and invited me into an eternal relationship with him. When I start to recognize that peace that Jesus brings in my own inner being, so he brings peace with God, he brings peace to my inner self, right? Then it also gives me the ability to start to see my fellow man in a different light. Once you start to recognize that God is with you and he's good and he's got the power and knowledge you don't have and you can be honest about your own foibles and your own weaknesses, it reshapes the way you see other people. So if earlier when I said, when's the last time you felt shalom? If your mind immediately went to a conflict you have with a spouse or with a child or with a neighbor or with a coworker, there is a brokenness and a lack of peace in human relationships. But most of the time, that lack of peace that happens in human relationships happens because you've got two or more broken individuals who are fighting for their own desires and their own preferences and their own will, right? One of the things we talk about here at Fullerton Free a lot, it's one of the pillars of who we are, is the idea of a radiant peace. And that radiant peace we believe comes, it radiates out of us, but it's rooted in humble solidarity. Radiant peace rooted in humble solidarity. What does that mean? Well, what it means is when you start to look at your fellow human beings and recognize that they, just like you, don't have it all figured out, that even though they're pretending like they know everything and even though they're pretending like they've got it all under control, they're just as weak as you and they're just as confused as you and they're just as scared as you and they're just as certainly as broken sinners as you, right? They are just as in need of a redeemer as you. It recalculates the way you see other people. I said it a long time ago, but it bears repeating. Many times we're in these conflicts with people that we see as our enemy. I wanna remind you that there is no human being on the planet who is your enemy. They might be the captives of your enemy, but that just means they need to be set free. But there are no human beings, no matter what race, no matter what language, no matter what political party, no matter wh where they come from, no matter how much money, what side of the tracks, there is no human being who is your enemy. Every one of those people is someone who was made by God and loved by God, that God has a purpose and a plan for, that God died to redeem. So what happens? We have peace with God through Christ. That peace with God trickles into a confidence and an ability to understand myself as someone who is loved by God even though I'm broken. And so what? I get peace with God through Jesus. Not only that, I get peace in my inner being because of Jesus. And then what that does is it recalibrates the way I look at you. It recalibrates the way I look at the, at the people I'm at the grocery store with. It reframes my interactions with other people. It is no wonder that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why would he be so adamant about that? Well, when you and I make peace, guess what we're doing? We're just putting Jesus on display. What are we doing when we make peace with our fellow man? we are just revealing Christ, right? 
As Christ has been revealed to us, he came to the earth and died in our place. He offers us by his grace and through no effort of our own, he offers us this resurrection, this redemption life. And then all he says to us is, can you offer a shadow of that to each other? When you do, when you offer grace, free and undeserved to your fellow man, you're putting me on a billboard. You're putting me on display for other people to see accurately. When the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers, the call for us is not just to be people who, who are you know, trying to be nice, but rather to actively enter into situations where there is brokenness and bring restoration. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He comes to the earth. He comes to the earth at Christmas, and when he comes to the earth, he doesn't come because anybody here deserved it. He didn't do it because anybody asked nicely for it, right? He didn't do it because they had done enough good deeds to earn it. Jesus comes to the earth to rescue and redeem us purely as an act of his grace. And not because anybody even appreciated it at the time, really, right? He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus effectively says, I did this for you. Now you do it with each other. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, right? What's he saying? God's given you this peace. He's shown you what peace can be like, this comprehensive wholeness and wellness, this shalom. He's given it to you. You didn't pay for it. Now give it away. Let it fill you up and pour out of you into the lives of other people. Ephesians, similarly, Ephesians chapter two, verse 13 and following says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What's Paul saying here in Ephesians? He's saying God wasn't looking for a bunch of little divisions. He wasn't looking for a Jewish and Gentile division. He wasn't looking for a, a, a man and woman division. He wasn't looking for a Greek and a Scythian division. He wasn't looking for a slave and a free division. We see that in Galatians. God wasn't looking for all of these little subgroups who've grouped together based on their own preferences and their own tastes. What he's saying is Jew and Gentile, those divisions were there before. I came and I preached to the people that were far away and I preached to the people that were near and I brought them together and made one new person who was reconciled to God and and reconciled to each other, right? When we celebrated Advent, we reflect upon this second candle, right? Hope and then peace, this shalom. It's not just, uh, you know, the absence of war. The idea is that Jesus makes peace with God and once we realize that God has forgiven us and has given us his grace, it changes the way we feel about ourselves. It reorients our perception of ourselves. We can have peace in our inner being, right? And then that peace in our inner being 
that trickles out into the way we see other people because we recognize that in all of our brokenness and all our foibles, those things are all just manifested in every other human being we know as well. And what they need is the very same thing we need, which is grace. Where we refuse to be gracious, where we refuse to be gracious to one another and forgive, we actively mar the image of Christ and ultimately we only hurt ourselves. Uh, I, I think I've told some of you before, but as a kid whose parents were divorced when I was 13, there was a long time in my life where I was really, really angry with my dad, right? And uh, that, that came out in a lot of different ways. I don't want to get in the weeds with you on it. But one of the things I realized after I got married, right? So I was 13 when he left. So in my 20s, I had a conversation with my wife and she says, you know all this bitterness and this hatred you have for your dad, it's not hurting your dad. <laughs> he doesn't care, <laughs> right? He doesn't care that you're mad, you know who that bitterness and that hatred is hurting? It's just hurting you. You've got this dark corner of your life where unforgiveness lives. And as long as a little bit of unforgiveness is allowed to reside in that dark corner of your life, there'll always be an open door for more darkness, more unforgiveness, more resentment, more bitterness to come in. But if you clean the dark corners of your house out and say, I have been forgiven and so I will forgive, the people that you forgive might not even appreciate that forgiveness. They might not e even respond, right? When you tell them that you need their forgiveness for the hatred that you've had toward them, they might ignore you. They might blow you off. It's not, it doesn't need to be reciprocated. But you set yourself free and you emulate Christ. You put Jesus on display when you make peace with people that have wronged you. Why? Because that's what he did. That's what he does, Right? When we refuse to extend grace to other people, we actively mar the image of Christ and we only hurt ourselves. And our peacemaking efforts in this day and age, those moments where we clean out the dark corners of our life and we refuse to harbor hatred and bitterness, all of those anticipate the fourth stage, which is that there is a day coming when Jesus will return all things to shalom. I'd said last week that part of the Advent celebration is not just celebrating what happened at the first Advent when Jesus came, that he came in hope, but we also have this hope that he will return and restore all things. The same thing is true as we celebrate in Advent, we celebrate peace. The peace we're talking about in one sense is this peace with God which can be available to you today if you've never put your faith in Christ. That peace with God will flow into your own life and recalibrate the lack of peace you feel in yourself. Once that peace within yourself has been reoriented and you've become defined by the grace of God, then you will start to see your fellow man in a different way. And what you will find is the potential and the possibility by the power of his spirit to make peace with your fellow man, to forgive and to extend grace in the spirit of Christ. But no matter how much grace and peace you extend, you will always feel a sense of the brokenness in our world, the hatred, the racism, the violence, the pandemics, the natural disasters, all of those things. And so there is a sense in, in the advent where we're not only reflecting about the, the peace that Jesus brought, the peace that Jesus brings, but when we light the candle, when we reflect on the peace of Christ, part of that reflection is an anticipation and an expectation of the peace he will bring when all things will be reconciled to himself, when all things will be restored. Colossians chapter one, verse 19 says, for in him, that's Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, heaven or in heaven, uh, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's not a thing that's happened yet. That's a thing that's happening progressively and will be finalized when Jesus returns. The prophet Isaiah foretold that this would be part of who Jesus was and what he was coming to do. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six famously says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of, the, uh, Lord of hosts will do this. One of the things that was so disorienting to the people in the first century is that they thought that Jesus would arrive, the Messiah would arrive, and immediately there would be this pervasive shalom, pervasive peace, and yet there was still this Roman occupation, there was still all the arrogance of the Pharisees, there were all of these uh, evidences of brokenness in the first century, and so they thought, he can't be the Messiah because we're not feeling everlasting peace. What they didn't recognize is that the work of Jesus is a progressive work. He brings peace with God that changes the peace within ourselves and can make possible peace with one another. But there is a day coming, my friends, that we are celebrating at Advent when Jesus will return and reconcile all things to himself and make peace finally and conclusively. And right here today, when we look at our world, it's not an opportunity to, to uh, tune out or to be escapists or to plug our ears and go, no, 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 just waiting for Jesus to come back and make it all better. We can be actively bringing, as ambassadors, peace into our world. But there is a day when you're tempted to feel hopeless, when you're tempted to feel anxious, when you're tempted to feel powerless and ignorant about what to do in this current day and age, the reality is that God has already proven he is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do and there is a day coming when every, every thing will be restored and reconciled, redeemed. He will make peace and it will be a final and everlasting peace that he will maintain by his power. That's what we're celebrating in Advent, a a fourfold peace that begins and ends with our peace with God, that pours over into our peace within ourselves, that floods out into our peace with our fellow man and waits in anticipation for that final and permanent peace that Jesus brings at his return. That's what we're celebrating. And so this week, as you walk towards Christmas, I hope that you will think about all four tiers and think about that lack of shalom we typically have and try and Ask for more of the peace of God which is available to you even now. Would you pray with me? God, we are, as Americans are just not, uh, we are just not people who carry peace very well or very often or for very long. Uh, we are anxious people, we are worried people, we are fearful people, we are divided people. Will, will you help us to remember the peace that has been made for us with you? The peace that you bring to our inner beings? as we become identified with what you say about us rather than what we feel or what other people say, will you allow that peace to flow out of us actively as we pursue peace with our fellow man? And Lord Jesus, come quickly. Will you bring peace where we are powerless to make change? We pray these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.